Well, we've been talking a lot about the afterlife these last few weeks, and you know, I heard about a guy who uh, went to heaven, and he's there at the pearly gates, and St. Peter comes out to greet him there, and Peter asked him this question. He said, sir, can you tell me at least one thing of merit that you have done with your life that you think should grant you entrance into heaven? And the man thought for a minute, and he said, well, I can think of one thing of merit that I have done in my life. Once I was on a trip, he told Peter, to the Black Hills of South Dakota, and on that trip I came across a gang of Hell's Angels bikers who were harassing a young woman. And so I stepped in and directed them to leave her alone, but they would not listen to me. And then Peter said, well, what happened next? He goes, well, the next thing I did is I, the man said, I found the biggest, meanest-looking biker in the gang, and I walked up to him, and I smacked him across the head. I kicked over his Harley. I ripped the nose ring right out of his nose and threw it on the ground. And I said, you guys leave her alone, or you're going to answer to me. And Peter said, that is very impressive. When did this happen? And the guy said, oh, about three minutes ago. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> anyway. Hey, nobody knows when you're talking. You guys are just getting it, right? I says, oh, I got it. It takes a minute sometimes. Hey, uh, we never know when our time is going to be called, do we? We don't know exactly how we're going to die. We don't know when we're going to die. But we'd all agree that if the Lord takes his time in returning, and we know he'll return, but if he takes his time in returning, then we will all meet the end at some point. That's inevitable. And the Bible tells us, and I hope you've picked up on this through this series, the Bible tells us that we do not need to fear death. In fact, the Bible also tells us that we can look forward to that day and we can have great expectation for when that comes. Now, we've talked a lot about the afterlife. We've talked a lot about, you know, what happens right after you die and, and judgment day and all of those things. You know what I want to talk about today, and I hope you join me on this little journey? I want to talk about eternity. I want to talk about what happens after judgment day and where the Bible says that the righteous and the unrighteous go. And I've got questions that I'd like for us to try to answer today about eternity and to explore together. Like, uh, what will eternity be like? And what will it look like? And who will be there? And what in the world are we going to do with all of that time on our hands? Have you ever wondered those questions? What are we going to do? Um, I think when we talk about heaven... I do think that we have a little bit of wiggle room to speculate and dream a little bit. We already know that no mind can conceive what God has prepared for those who love him. So I think it's okay to use our imagination because the best we can do, says the Bible says, it's going to be better than that. So I'd like to speculate with you a little bit today about what heaven will be like, but I also want to tell you of the things that we can know for sure. And here's what we know for sure from the Bible, that for those that have followed Christ in this life, heaven is going to be good, and I mean really good. Everything that we read about in the Bible about heaven points to that truth, that for the believer, it's going to be really good. And God has gone to great lengths to prepare this really incredible place for us, and he has gone to great lengths to make sure that we can get there through his son, Jesus Christ, and his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, for those that have decided not to follow Christ in this lifetime, the Bible tells us that eternity for them will be bad. 
And I mean really bad. So I want to start today, I want to talk about heaven, one of my favorite subjects, and I think one of the most wonderful things that uh, a, a body of believers can talk about and focus on, it's heaven. What is heaven going to be like? What is it going to be like to be with God forever in his presence in a never-ending way? Now, I'd like for you to uh, be, if, well, let me back up. Normally at this time, I'll tell you, hey, turn in your Bibles to this passage. We're going to be spending time here. But today's message is going to be a little different than that. I'm going to have you just look at the screens behind me. Now, that shouldn't stop you from opening your Bibles, but I'm just telling you, I'm going to be rattling through some scriptures pretty fast. So if you want to try to keep up, perfectly fine. Many of you will be able to just fine. But it's also okay. Just watch the screens behind me. Some of you are following along um, at, in, at newlifenwa.info uh, under the current teaching card. And you guys have been, many of you have been following along there. Uh, all of the scriptures are there. If you want to go back and reference it later, all of the, the, the scriptures are there so you won't miss anything. But we're going to rapid fire through some of this stuff. We're going to start in 2 Peter chapter 3. This is one of Jesus' disciples, and he gives us a little glimpse into eternity. This is what he tells us. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. What do you think he means by that? We're not going to be expecting it. It will be a surprise to many. The Bible in other places talks about how, you know, hey, if you knew when a thief was going to come rob you in the night, don't you think you would be prepared for him? This is when the, when the Lord returns, it will be in a time, it will be when, it will be a surprise. It will be caught off guard, and many people will be caught off guard. And so Peter is making that reference. The day of the Lord, the return of Christ, when he comes, it will be like a thief. And then this is what will happen next. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? That, my friends, is probably the most important question that we could contemplate on this day. Here Peter is telling the church, hey, you know what's going to happen. It's going to happen the way God designed it. So how should you be? You have this knowledge. How should you live right now? Friends, that is the question of the day. He says, you ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed, it's coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. When Jesus comes the second time, everybody living on earth will be taken away. For the final judgment. The final judgment does not happen on earth. The final judgment, according to the Bible, happens in a place called the great throne room of God. And it's at that moment the earth will be completely empty of people. Can you imagine what our earth would be like if all six or seven billion residents of earth today were just gone? Have you ever walked through Times Square in New York and seen all those people? And that will be completely empty. You ever walk downtown any of our cities, like down Chicago, down Michigan Mile, and all the thousands of people walking, just empty. You ever driven down the streets of Bella Vista, 8 o'clock at night, and, oh, wait a minute, it's always empty. I'd, uh, <laughs> wait a minute, what am I thinking? Empty. The earth is going to be empty of people. And the Bible seems to indicate that during the judgment, the earth will be set on fire, According to what Peter is telling us, the earth that has been damaged by sin, 
The earth that has been tarnished is about to be refined by fire. The earth itself, the Bible speaks about how it is under a curse, a curse of sin, and it is decaying, and it is breaking down, and it will be redeemed as well. Now, Paul talks about this somewhat in Romans chapter 8, verse 19. Let me read it for you. He says, For the creation awaits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Do you realize that before sin entered the, the world, there was no death? Not among people, not among animals, not among vegetation. Trees never got diseases. They never rotted and died. You know, every time that you are working out in your garden and you get pricked by a thorn, that should be a reminder to us that not everything in this world is okay. There were no thorns before sin. Thorns are another consequence of a cursed world. Somebody hands you a rose and you're like, ouch, that thorn got me. That should be a reminder that one day it will be made right. Right now it is not. But there is something coming and it will be different. Well, you know, the earth, it's under that same kind of curse that our bodies are. Our bodies that were meant to live forever, they are cursed as well. These bodies will die. Our soul will go on, but our bodies die. Well, this earth is subject to decay and erosion and death as well. And it will be released of that curse as well. In fact, in Revelation, we'll read it here in a minute. It talks about there will be no more curse at the end. Somebody said this one time, I like it. It says that uh, the, the new earth will be refined by fire and it will be an updated, deluxe model of the orb on which we now dwell. I like that description. The new earth will be our literal home for all eternity. John, another one of Jesus' disciples, he was allowed to have a glimpse of what this was going to look like. He was given a vision by God, and God told him to write these things down. They're trustworthy and true. And so John, to the very best of his ability, he wrote down what he was seeing in this vision of eternity. And it's in Revelation 25, or excuse me, 21. You can read the whole chapter. We'll read just a few parts of it. Starting in verse 1, John says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, we understand there's, there's no sea there because the sea in biblical days represented fear. People go out on a boat, out on the sea, and many of them don't come back. Sea is gone. This thing that represents fear. Fear is taken and removed. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Something brand new is coming. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the culmination of what has been God's plan all along to redeem mankind 
and to dwell with them forever. Do you remember those of you who were with us during our story series? We talked about how God has an upper story and we're living in the, uh, in the lower story. And God's upper story is seen through all the course of time. Sometimes our lower story, we don't see what God is doing, but he has an upper story. What we're reading about here in Revelation 21 is the culmination of God's upper story. All of this leads to eternity where God will dwell with his people. And we can look forward to that. If you were to keep reading and get down to verse 10, John says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. Jump down a few verses, look at verse 15. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rods and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its wall and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper, and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. This sounds like an impressive city. Jump down to verse 21. He says this. This is what he saw. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. You sometimes wonder, where do we get this concept of pearly gates in reference to heaven? Well, we're reading it. The great street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass. Remember, this is what John is seeing in this vision. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. You know why that's an important detail? Because to the Jewish Christians at this time, they would have understood, wait a minute, the temple is gone? You know what they'd have understood? There's no more need for sacrifice. Why would there be no more need for sacrifice in the temple? Because there is no more sin to be atoned for. And why would the temple be gone? Because now, that's not the place where God dwells, not the temple. God dwells with his people. So John's like, there is no temple. There is no need for the temple because there is no sin and God dwells with his people. That's what he's saying. He says, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light and the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of all the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it and nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, I'll tell you, that sounds pretty spectacular. And I think John's doing the best job he can with the vocabulary that he has to describe what he's seeing. And still, even with that, the Bible tells us that no mind has been able to conceive what God has planned for those that love him. I read that and I take this away from it. And I hope you take away something very similar. Here's what I take away from Revelation 21. What waits for those who have followed Christ is going to be glorious. It is going to be incredible. That's what we have in store. So there's a few questions that I have that comes up about heaven. One of those questions is, who is going to be there? I mean, exactly, who is going to be a part of this? Well, I can tell you this. People are. 
Lots and lots of people. I think there will be people in heaven from every nation, every tribe, every people group, every language that you can imagine here on earth. I think people there with every different kind of color of skin will be represented in heaven. There will be people in heaven that you did not get along with here on earth. There will be people there. Or did you think that God only forgives you and not other people? Heaven will be filled with people, lots and lots of people. But one of the best things I think about heaven is all of the people that will be, all the people there that will be among our family and our friends whom we have been cut off from by death. How awesome will it be in heaven to be reunited with those that we have had to say goodbye to here on earth? Remember, death is what? Death is a consequence of sin. But in eternity, everything will be made right. We will be reunited with those who have also died in Christ, who we have had to say goodbye to. And how wonderful will that day be? Does anybody come to your mind right now that you're thinking of that you cannot wait to see again? I can. I've been very fortunate in my life that my um, immediate family um, has yet to pass away. I still have parents. Um, I still have my brother and all my sisters. I still have my wife, and I still have my boys. But if they go before me, I know that I will spend eternity with them, and it will be amazing. I'm not sure which member of my family is responsible for bringing Christianity to our family tree. I know that my great-grandfather, H.C. Williams, um, was a Christian. In fact, he was a preacher like me. Now, I don't, know, um, I don't know who before him brought Christ or if he was the first one that changed the trajectory of our family, but um, I know that he was a preacher. And um, did you know, have I told you that, that he died on a Sunday while he was preaching? He dropped dead right in front of this whole church. Did you know that? And I'm thinking, what a way to go. Just to be preaching some Sunday and then just blam, what a way to go for him. That was a, what a way to go. You know me, I want to die in my sleep. I want to to put my head on my pillow at night and wake up in heaven. Like, man, Lord, how long was I out? That's how I want to go, painless and seamless. But I'm looking forward to meeting him or her in heaven one day who introduced my family to Jesus, and that trickled down to me, and I hope it trickles down to my boys and my grandchildren one day, if God blesses me that way, and it's a tremendous responsibility, I feel, but I'm looking forward to meeting that person. I'm looking forward to seeing my grandfather again. Uh, My grandfather, his name was Neil Williams. It's who I named my oldest after. And uh, I'm looking forward to sitting around with him and having a Diet Coke one day and talking about things. Um, I remember as a child, my my grandfather's a wonderful godly man, served as a leader in the First Christian Church of Cleveland, Oklahoma for years and years. I remember as a young guy sitting on his lap and he had a globe in his lap and he he he'd travel the world and he would point well, he had an ink pen, and he would go, I've been here. And, I, and, and since at his age, he died at 99, and, and he wasn't quite as, he was a little shaky. And I remember his ink pen was messing up the globe because he was pointing. And I'm like, Grandpa, you probably shouldn't be marking up the globe. He's like, oh, it's okay. No one will care. And I, it's just it's one of those memories that I have. I don't Nobody's going to care about that. My grandfather, one of my favorite stories 
is um, he used to sit in the second row of the First Christian Church of Cleveland, Oklahoma, and their auditorium looked very much like our atrium. It had the beams that went up to a point, and those beams came down. And if you've been in a church like that, the pews, don't they come to the beam, but then they cut short because the beam's in the way. So my grandfather would always sit in the pew next to the beam because there was no row in front of him, and he could stretch his legs out. Have you been in a church like that? Everyone knew for like 40 or 50 years that was Neil Williams' pew. One day, they had a first-time guest family come, and they sat there, and everybody wondered, what's Neil Williams going to do? So Neil Williams comes in, my grandfather, and he sees them there. And of course, you would think, oh, he'll just sit somewhere else. No. He walked right up to them. He said, hey, nice to have you today. First time with us? Yes, it is. Well, hey, well, I'm Neil Williams, and you're going to need to move. That's my chair. And, uh, and they did, and I don't think they ever came back to church. And so, anyway... <laughs> At his funeral, somebody told that story, you know, and everybody, that was just, I, I'm looking forward to spending some time with my grandpa again. And you know, there's probably names that come to your mind that you're thinking of, and I'm telling you, it will be truly one of the greatest things about heaven is that we get to be reunited with those that have been cut off from us, and the consequence of the sin, which is death, will be eradicated forever. And we will be with them to never be separated again. Which, which brings me to another question about heaven. Maybe you've wondered this. Will we know it's our family in heaven? Does something change about that in heaven? Now, nowhere in Scripture does it say that we lose our individuality in heaven. I can't find that verse anywhere. Um, in fact, I kind of see some things that speak to the opposite of that. Do you remember in the New Testament when Jesus was transfigured and Moses and Elijah joined him in that transfigured state? They knew it was Moses and Elijah, didn't they? It seemed like they kept their identity. Remember the story that Jesus told? We looked at it um, here uh, uh, in this series where Jesus said there was a rich man and Lazarus in the afterlife, and they still had their identity. He was still the rich man. That was still Lazarus. There's one other example. I don't know if this speaks directly to this, but it does mean something to me. King David, you might recall, he uh, had a son who was very sick, and David prayed for days that God would heal this little infant baby, but the baby died. And David rises up from that moment, and he says something so spectacular. I don't know if it applies exactly to this, but I love it. He said this, that little boy cannot come back to me, but I can go to him. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where we lose our individuality in heaven. I know we're going to be given new heavenly bodies, but the people that we knew here on earth, we will know in heaven. I don't believe that our uniqueness will be any different in heaven uh, I, I think we will all have our own recognizable personalities. You know who else will be in heaven? God will be there. God will be in heaven. God will be the central figure of all the inhabitants of heaven. And one of the things that we will enjoy the most about heaven is spending time with God, walking with him and knowing him like Adam and Eve knew him. The Bible says in heaven we're going to have these glorified bodies. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. He talks about it. He says this, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, he's talking about our bodies, not an actual tent that you go camping with. He says your body is like a tent. And if that gets destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. In other words, this is going to go away. God's going to give you something to replace it that is going to be eternal. 
Paul talks about this again in 1 Corinthians as well. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42, he says, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. He's talking about the end times when we are caught up with the Lord. This is how it's gonna be. The body that was sown perishable, this, this thing that's breaking down and dying, it will be raised imperishable. So what we have on earth is gonna break. What God is gonna give us in eternity won't break. That's what he's saying. It was sown in dishonor. In other words, this is tarnished by sin. Even many people carry their sins as scars on their body. This is sown in dishonor. It will be raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, raised in power. It's sown in natural body, raised a spiritual body. I think this is Paul's way of saying that God is gonna give us an eternal body and that eternal body is gonna absolutely rock. And in that body, you don't ever have to watch your cholesterol in that body, you don't ever have to count points or calories. It says so in the Weight Watchers manual. In the fine print, in the inside cover, it says in heaven, you don't have to do any of this. It's there. You can go check it. It's not there. Don't check it. I'm kidding. You know, I think in heaven, we are going to have all five of our senses and then senses that we didn't even know. You know what I'm talking about? Sight, touch, taste, smell, feel, all of those things. Uh, to be fair, I think we have to use a little bit of speculation with this. But I personally believe we're going to have all those five senses. You know, when one thinks about heaven, we kind of get this impression. I don't know if you do or not, but I think Hollywood and, and popular culture gives us this impression that everywhere we go, we will be in the clouds and we will be all wearing these white robe things that cut across our upper torso and looks like Greek mythology will be kind of floating in clouds and that, um, that everywhere we go, our feet won't actually touch the ground. We'll just glide. We'll float across the, the ground. Um, we will have harps and we will sing everything and, and, um, and that's what heaven is. Friends, I don't think heaven's gonna be anything like that. I don't think, I, I think heaven's gonna be more like God's original design in the Garden of Eden. Can you imagine you are Adam or Eve and you've just come to life in the Garden of Eden can you see the blue skies and experience that? Like, oh, wow. Can you uh, see the white clouds and the green grass? Can you smell the flowers? Can you hear the birds of the air? This paradise has a wonderful variety of things to behold. And God has made all of it, and he has put you there in a body that is ready to enjoy it. Each of those five senses in our brand new body has been designed by God and surrounding you are all these sights and smells and things that you've never experienced before. It's all the stuff that God said is very good. Now, of course, we're not Adam and Eve, but we still live in a world where, in many ways, is an extension of Eden. The same plants, the same animals, the same colors, the same smells, the same sounds, the same flavors that still exist. Your body still has those same five senses and you continue to enjoy all of those things. Now, which ones of those senses are going to be taken away? I don't think any of them are going to be taken away. In fact, I think it's going to be so much better. I mean, I'd put it this way. Why would we expect less in heaven than what we have now? I think it's going to be so much more. I think that we're going to have senses that we didn't even know that we had senses about because this body is limited in so many ways. Let me ask you this. Have you ever stood 
on the beach and look down in the ocean as the sun is coming down and the cool breeze off the ocean waves hits you in the face and you say something, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Have you stood there? Can you visualize that? Have you ever stood at a distance and seen snow-capped mountains and go, I've never seen anything so beautiful in all my life? Have you ever driven through Yellowstone? Have you ever stood on top of a tall mountain and looked out at the world below and just marveled at God's creation? Friends, can I tell you something that maybe you've never thought about it this way? You are looking at the leftovers of what once was perfect through limitations. This is what's left over from what was once perfect but now is broken. What is existing on a cursed world and you're looking at it through a a tarnished body and one day all of that is going to be changed. It's going to go back to what God originally had designed. And if you think some of the most beautiful places you've ever seen in this world can compare to anything that we're going to see in heaven, then we're gravely mistaken. It is going to be so far beyond we're living in the leftovers of what once was perfect. And one day it will be perfect, and it will be incredible. I could talk a lot about that. Well, let me ask another question. If all this is going to be in heaven, what won't be in heaven? Well, that's an easy one to answer. I'll tell you what won't be in heaven. The devil won't be in heaven, and that's good news. Can you imagine living through your entire life without ever being tempted to do wrong, ever? See, the devil is the one who brings temptation. The, the devil is the one that creates chaos. All of that will be gone, and you'll be living in eternity free from all of that. Oh, I could spend a lot of time talking about that too. What are we going to do with all that time in heaven? You under, ever wonder about that question? Eternity is a long time. What are we going to do? Mark Twain and Huckleberry Finn, he had his character wonder this. Huckleberry Finn said, all that anybody's ever going to do in heaven is just go around all day long with a harp and sing forever and ever. And Mark Twain said one time, I think a vacation to Bermuda sounds more interesting than that. He couldn't be more wrong. Of course, we're going to worship the Lord in heaven. That's going to be part of heaven. And it'll be the best worship gatherings that you've ever been a part of. But that's not the only thing that we're going to do for all eternity. Again, I'm going to share some of this with some speculation, so you need to know that. Some imagination, some speculation. But I'm going to say this. We are not going to be bored in heaven. Not at all. We'll be living on the new earth, which will be perfect. We'll be living in our new heavenly bodies that are not limited in any way like they are now. I don't know about you, but I tend to be forgetful. I struggle with, with locking in names at times, and I forget details, and frustrates my wife to death. She goes, you can't remember nothing. I say, I know, I'm overload, brain overload. But you know what? In heaven, I'll never forget one thing. Not one slightest detail for all eternity. Why? Because the hindrances that we have in this body are going to be completely removed. I believe in heaven that we will explore, we will create, we will design, we will learn, we will build, we will love, we will interact with other people, and we will fellowship like never before. And we will fellowship and do all those things in a way without any hindrances or missing of any details. We right now, the Bible says, are created in God's image. And I don't see that changing once we get to heaven. God is creative. God is intelligent. God is interactive. God is loving. And I think we will be that way too. We will not be bored, I promise. It's going to be a wonderful place. I love talking about heaven. You know what I hate talking about? 
hell. But you know, when you talk about the afterlife and you talk about heaven, it's truly going to be a wonderful place, but as wonderful as it's going to be, billions and billions of people will never see it. They will face another reality, another eternal reality, and the Bible calls that other reality hell. I want to confess to you, I hate talking about hell. I've got plenty of friends that have the same role that I do in their churches, and they don't talk about hell. I have a different conviction. I believe that if we are to to preach and learn the whole counsel of God, you have to learn about both. Here's what the Bible says about heaven. This is the reality of hell. And I'm deeply convicted about that, even though I don't like talking about it. If you go back to what did the, the king will say to those on his left, Matthew 25, what did he say? Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. There's plenty of people that don't want to face that reality of hell being a literal place for those that chose not to follow Christ in this world. But if you take the Bible at its word, it's a reality we should face. I don't know if you've ever had this conversation. I've had this conversation with plenty of people. It goes like this. I cannot believe in a God who would send people to hell. Have you had that conversation with anybody? Has that ever come up before? It's a significant question. Jonathan Edwards said this one time. He said, the reason for why we find hell so offensive is because of our insensitivity to sin. I think he's on to something. Sin is serious. And sin has serious consequences. The worst of all would be hell. Now, I just want to spend just a few brief moments talking about some of the characteristics of hell because it's important that we know it. The Bible says that after Judgment Day, Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. So in other words, all those that find themselves on the left, the unrighteous, whose names were never recorded in the Lamb's book of life, they will be cast into hell with the devil and all his demons. And the Bible tells us these details about hell. First of all, it says it's a place of torment. Now the first image of hell that we learn about in the Bible is from a word that gets translated as Hades and hell, but that word is called Guiana. And Guiana refers to a small valley. That valley is called Hinnom in the Bible, and it's just south of Jerusalem. And the reason why this was such a disgusting, hated valley, especially to the Jewish people, it goes all the way back into the Old Testament with King Ahaz and King Manasseh, and they performed child sacrifices there in this valley. And that valley would later become a huge garbage dump for the city of Jerusalem. All the trash of Jerusalem went into Gihana. All of the public trash, there was also corpses of animals and even corpses of criminals. They were flung into this valley to be left there to rot and to be consumed by the fire that was constantly burning into this valley to dispose of all this garbage and, uh, and all that. So it was literally, Gihana was an actual valley that people knew as the worst place on earth, where smoke constantly billowed up from this valley and the stench of trash was constantly there. This is the image that the Bible connects to hell. 
this is the imagery that the Bible writers typed into or tapped into when they would discuss hell and the eternal consequences. They were trying to describe what is the worst place on planet Earth. That's Guyana. That's hell. That's what eternity for the unrighteous will be like. And, and for the Jewish person, they'd be like, that's nothing I want to be a part of. Because it even represented something else. If you know your Old Testament history well, there was all kinds of clean and unclean foods. There's all kinds of things that you could and couldn't do. And a Jewish person could be tainted as unclean just by touching something. Everything that represented uncleanliness to a Jewish person, everything that represented um, um, being disconnected from God was associated with Gihana. Now, with that understanding in mind. It goes deeper than that, but let's go back and revisit something that Jesus said, and I think maybe it'll make a little bit more sense. In Mark chapter 9, verse 47, Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, into Gihana, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. This is imagery that in the Bible that we are to capture as a terrible place. And so when there's words and language in the Bible like billowing smoke and fire, and in Revelation we get to the, the lake of fire and brimstone, there's some connection there. God's wrath is also described like a raging fire. And so in the language of the Bible, this valley of Gihana translates into a description of what, what eternity without God will be like. It's an awful place. And that's, that's what's trying to be communicated. It's a place of great abandonment, the Bible says. We have this impression that in hell, the devil will be like king and all of his demons will be like his warriors and, and he will rule over hell. Friends, that's Hollywood's version. That is not so. All of those thrown into hell are suffering the same punishment as the devil. He will have no leadership there. He and his demons are being punished like everyone else. The, the Bible speaks of hell as a great place of torment, regret, guilt. There's language attached to it in the Bible, and you'll hear this language in Jesus' parables quite a bit, where he will say something to this effect. They will be thrown outside where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Are you familiar with that language in the Bible? Every time you read weeping and gnashing of teeth in the Bible, most likely that is a direct reference to eternity without God. And you think, what does weeping and gnashing of teeth mean? Well, I think there does some pain. You ever like hit yourself with a hammer and go, oh, you kind of, but you know, it's that. But I think it's also this. Have you ever made a huge mistake and go, oh, I wish I hadn't done that? And there's kind of that gritting that's like, oh, why did I choose that? Oh, why did I do that? And there's that gnashing of teeth. The Bible seems to indicate both, that there will be torment, but there will also be, also be deep regret. And there will be like, oh, why did I do that? Why didn't I listen? Why didn't I listen to my neighbor who invited me to church every Sunday for 10 years? Why didn't I take him up on his offer? Uh, why didn't I listen to my parents? Uh, why didn't I? There's going to be that in hell. Hell is for all eternity, the Bible says. He will say to those, go away from me to eternal punishment. I heard it said this way one time, hell is a place of easy access, but no exit. And I think entering hell is easy enough. All you have to do is neglect Christ in this life. Now, 
I don't like talking about hell. Have I been clear about that? And if this conversation has caused you to be a little frightened, I want you to know something. There is some really good news that comes with this. And the good news is this. You can put your trust in Christ and escape all the bad stuff I've been talking about for the last few minutes. What I'm telling you is there is still time. Because what happens in this life makes all the difference in the world. What's going to happen after the grave? That's already set. That's already predetermined. God's already got that mapped out. What's going to happen? You decide right now. How am I going to live today? So that's why Peter asked the question. Because you know all these things, how should you live today? I would encourage you to trust in the Lord today. Because one minute after you die, it is too late. Now can I, can I talk straight with you? I'm already talking straight with you, but can I talk a little straighter? When we talk about reaching our friends for Jesus, and when we talk about you know, inviting friends to church, and we talk about being bold with our witness and all of those things, we talk about that because the Bible talks about it that way, but do you realize what hangs in the balance for those right now who are outside of Jesus Christ's family? Like that neighbor who you look at that person's lifestyle and, and you try not to, but you stand in judgment and go, man, that guy doesn't care anything about the Lord. That guy's far away from God. And, and, and you know, he should fix his ways. That's one way to look at that person. It's another way to look at that person and go, that person is lost. They don't know Jesus and their trajectory of their life right now is, is gonna lead them away from the Lord and they're facing right now an eternity without Jesus unless I do something about it. It's two different ways to look at people. That person at work that just kind of drives you nuts and you're tired of their dirty jokes and all this stuff. about like, oh, I can't stand that guy. That's one way to look at it. Or you could see them through godly lenses and say, that person, if I don't do something, if I don't at least try, they could spend an eternity without Jesus. And that's a terrible thing. We read all through Scripture that Jesus had massive compassion for people. There was multiple times that we read about Jesus saw they were helpless, they were harassed. harassed. They, there was one time he saw people that they were sheep without a shepherd. And, and the Bible speaks that Jesus had this incredible compassion on people. And we sometimes go, well, I have compassion on people. I saw somebody who's thirsty. I gave him something to drink. Somebody was begging us, I gave him a dollar. You know, we, I have compassion. Hey, I helped somebody get their yard mowed. Those are all things. That's kindness. That's not the compassion that Jesus had. You know, compassion is much deeper than that. Compassion is when you see that person, you go, if I don't do something, they're lost. It's up to me. And then they may spend eternity without Jesus if I don't try. That, my friends, is compassion. Everything else is just kindness. And so we learn these things. What does that do to us as a church family? What kind of responsibility does that put on us as the family of God of how we should live in this life and how we should see other people? If I don't do something, they're lost. That's why I told you in heaven, I'm gonna track down the person who introduced my family to Jesus because it changed our entire family tree. And I wanna say thank you for seeing whoever it was in my family back in the day, not as somebody who disagreed, but somebody who is lost without the Lord and is heading down the wrong road. Let me leave you with this. One final scripture. Jesus said this in John chapter 3, verse 36. Whoever 
believes in the Son has eternal life. And the word I want us to focus on is whoever. Because that's broad. Whoever is that neighbor that drives you nuts. Whoever is that coworker that you can't stand. Whoever is that person, this person, and the, the people we just tend to look at, I don't want anything to do with them. But whoever, even them, believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So really, what we should really think about today is how are we doing with this life? And how do we see the world? Do we see it through godly lenses? That's what I've said since we started this series. Any conversation about the afterlife should cause us to contemplate the current life. So how are we doing with this life?